continue worship with a reading from Philippians 3, 7 through 14. But whatever things were gained to me, <clears throat> those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, <clears throat> I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank God. You may be seated. Good morning. And happy New Year. Yeah, I'm uh, Pastor Scott, one of the pastors on staff here at Riverstone. It's my joy to be with you this morning. And uh, I'm glad to see you all here on this first uh, Sunday of the year, a rainy one. But we're here and we're worshiping the Lord. And I'm glad that you're here. I hope you had a great Christmas and a New Year's celebration. Uh, a lot of highlights probably that we all experienced. My highlight, one of them, was uh, going over to the grandkids' house on Christmas afternoon and watching the grandkids and their cousins open all the gifts. It was uh, not planned or organized. It was like a bomb went off. You know, just paper flying, ribbons flying, boxes flying everywhere. It was a lot of fun, a lot of squills and shouts of joy. But uh, what I got tickled about was Gemma, our one-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, um, what she loved the most was the paper and the ribbons and the boxes. And I have video of her just rolling around and all of this, just squealing with joy, just having the time of her life. And it occurred to me, I could have saved a lot of money, just boxes, ribbon, paper. But uh, you know how it works. But now, now comes the time we, uh, we pay the bills and put away the decorations, clean the house, and then get ready to do it all again next year. But uh, New Year's has a unique... Um, uh, specialness about it, uh, and that is it's a time when a lot of people make New Year's resolutions. Anybody make New, New Year's resolutions? Uh, a lot of people do. It's kind of interesting. Um, things like, I'm not going to spend this much next Christmas is one of them, or uh, definitely, I am not going to eat this much next Christmas for sure. But uh, there is something that's very cool about entering into a new year that gives us kind of a fresh start, a do-over. It's a good time to make changes that need to be made. And I think that God actually intentionally designed our, our, our solar system, our planet, creation, for just such a cause as that. He created the world with built-in cycles, very clear beginnings and very clear endings, which allows for fresh beginnings and new, and new starts. Every 24 hours, our Earth spins around. It gives us this wonderful day. gives us a brand new day. We have lunar cycles about every 28 days, and we measure those things out in the, the, the year. We, we end up with 12 months, which, you know, 12 new beginnings. And interestingly enough, our, or, our, our planet, Earth, orbits uh, it's, uh, 585 million miles around the sun, just in case you were wondering. 
uh, just in case you wanted to know. And we do that every 365 days, and it marks the beginning and the end of a new year. And even though God is not impacted by time at all, he's outside of time, we are impacted by it. We have a certain amount of days that we live here on this earth. There is an expiration uh, stamp somewhere on the bottom of your foot that you can't see. And we don't know how long that's going to be, but every day is a gift from the Lord. And so we do measure our time and we look at it. And the new year is a good time to kind of take stock and just ask, okay, how's it going? How's my life going? Is it, is it going in the trajectory it needs to? Or do I need to make some course corrections? And so uh, there's a study that found out that about 43% of Americans do make New Year's resolutions. I saw some of you say, hey, I'm in that 43%. But here it is, only 7% actually keep the resolutions. And that means that 57% didn't make resolutions at all. (laughs) But the truth is that whether we make New Year's resolutions or not, we all long for change. We long for transformation. We look at our lives and we believe and know that God has something good for us and designed us for something good. And we want to make changes in our life, things more meaningful than just losing 10 pounds, you know. Start to say 12, but 10's, 10's plenty. Um, or remembering to floss every day this year, you know, or maybe cut down on carbs or pay some bills off. We long to experience freedom. We long to experience fear, uh, freedom from fear and anxiety, uh, to have more joy in our life, to, to experience God's love for us and the ability to love others and relate to others with God's love, to be able to maybe break free from some habits, some hangups, and uh, some old hurts that have been just holding on to us for far too long, and to experience the life that the Bible talks about, where we bear fruit and we walk with closeness with God and we make a difference in the world. So the big question that we have, and this is a really big question, lots have been written and published on this, is how do we really obtain change? How do we really experience transformation in our life that will last more than a New Year's resolution that only lasts about two weeks? How do we have lasting change in our life? So in our scripture reading that Chris read a few moments ago from Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul, he gives what I believe are some really critical points to having lasting change in our life, and it comes out of his experience. It comes out of his own life, and we can learn from that. A few verses down, he goes, learn from my example. You know, follow me in this. So Paul, in case you've never studied him, he is a fascinating case study of a character. Uh, Very interesting, somewhat complex in some ways. Some of the guys trying to figure him out. Peter later said, you know, some of Paul's writings are kind of (laughs) hard. They're kind of difficult. We struggle with those, particularly the book of Romans. Uh, but it, it is the inspired word of God, and God worked through him in some crazy, marvelous ways that I'm very thankful for. But the thing about Paul, Paul had a past. He had good, bad, and ugly in his past, as we all do. And he accomplished some great things, like writing so much of the New Testament and all the other things that he accomplished. But he also had some very painful and some very ugly failures in his life. So he says in verse 8 that we read, and we'll look at this again, he goes, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now catch that phrase. Why? Because of the surpassing worth, the value, the richness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this sake, for his sake, he goes, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He's saying that compared 
to Jesus, when you take a comparison between everything that's been accomplished, maybe the good, the bad, and the ugly, when you take all that the world has to offer and you compare it with Christ, Christ wins. The beauty, the splendor, the majesty, the sweetness, the power, a love of Jesus, nothing holds a candle. Nothing compares. In my heart, he says, is drawn to that. I want to know that. I want to experience that in my life. My desire is to know him because he is superior to anything else. He's just so much better. He goes on in verse 10, he goes, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. I want to experience him in that way. When you look back at the, the former verse, when he uses the word rubbish, that's not the word he used. <laughs> um, he actually used a word in the Greek language that was used to talk about the excrement of animals. Okay, dung. Um, I'm not suggesting that Paul cussed here, but uh, he used a very descriptive word that would catch people's attention when you compare everything everything I've ever accomplished, everything that I could accomplish, everything that the world offers, and you compare it with, with Christ, he's so superior, this is dung. This is rubbish. This is what you throw away that you get rid of because he is so superior. So he goes, so my heart is ignited not to find my meaning and my identity in the things of this world or accomplishments of the past, but to find my identity in him, by knowing him. And he's not talking about head knowledge. He doesn't use a word that just talks about head knowledge. He's not talking about knowing about God or just being acquainted with Jesus. He's talking about intimate, experiential, relational knowing. The kind of knowing that lovers have. The kind of knowing that families experience. The kind of knowing that you have in an intimate friendship with someone for a long time. Because I long to experience Jesus, to know him, to have him capture my heart so much that, that his power, even Jesus' heart breaks, even his suffering is shared in my life. I want to share life with him. Now that, my friends, is some powerful change. That brings about transformation. It's worth talking about. Paul so desperately wants closeness, he wants union with Jesus more than anything else, that out of this intense hunger that he has, his desire for the Lord, he shares with us, and from his experience, what helps bring about that kind of transformation. And so it, it behooves us to look and to listen and to learn from him. He says in, in, in verses 13 and 14, very honestly, because brothers, I'm not there yet, okay? I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I am reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the first key that he talks about to experience lasting change or how he experienced lasting change was forgetting what lies behind, letting go of the past, the good, even the good, the bad, and the ugly. Otherwise, we get caught up in comparisons with other people, pride if we've succeeded, or self-loathing and condemnation where we failed. 
and we simply don't succeed. We don't win. We're captured and stuck there. Paul is saying, I am not living in the past, even the accomplishments, the good things. I am not living in the past, the failures and the missteps that I've made. I'm putting that behind me. I'm letting it go. I'm putting it out of my mind, literally forgetting it. It's one thing to be thankful for the good things in our past, and we should. We should be thankful for the good things that we've experienced that have made us who we are. But it is so easy to get stuck in the past. Some people get stuck in the good things in the past, and they talk all the time about the good old days, you know, back in the good old days. You know, and I, you know, I find, you know, back in the 70s, man, it was cool. We were all hippies, you know, and uh, the Jesus movement was going on and the vineyard was, movement was born and those were the days. And you hear people talk about how good it was. It was great. But, uh, you know, news break, the past is past. Those good old days, maybe they were good. Maybe we just look back and they look good. Maybe we were struggling there too. But the good old days are gone. And so he's saying, don't live. Don't be stuck living the good old days. Don't be the 40-year-old the guy still wearing his, uh, his high school jacket, you know, from playing football. Uh, you, you've grown up, you know. You've moved on. But there are other things in our past that can hold us back. There are negative things that can stumble us, cause us to stumble. Past failures, mistakes, sins, disappointments, betrayals, negative people, failed attempts to change. Where we said, man, I tried it, and it didn't work. And we have a tendency to look back and see that it didn't work and want to give up. Paul could have very, very easily lived in the land of regret. He could have been stuck over past mistakes that he made because he made some doozies. One of them was being complicit in the killing, the murder of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He had disagreements with other Christian brothers. They all loved God, but they disappeared, sometimes very intensely and sometimes harshly. And he would have to go back and correct some of those and mend those relationships. He even wrote this, a confession in, in 1 Timothy. He's writing to young Timothy. And he says to Timothy in, in verse 115, he goes, this is a faithful saying and is worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We go, amen. And he goes, of whom I am the chief. I'm the highest ranking one. I am the worst of them all. That's honesty and humility. But because we see the grace of God and the forgiveness of God had worked in Paul's life, it literally changed his identity. He was not stuck being that old person or living in the land of regret and sorrow and grief. But instead, we see him very free and very liberated and new in Christ. With the past, we have three choices. One, we can go back in our minds, relive it, rehash it, ruminate it over and over again, and live in the past and recycle it. And we just have all of those painful experiences, we experience them again. The mind doesn't really know. It can't really distinguish. When we think back and re-experience an old experience to the mind, it's like it's happening now. And it releases all the negative effects in our mind and in our emotions and in our bodies of that first experience. It prolongs the trauma. So when we go back and ruminate and live there, we're just hurting ourselves. Second thing is that we can let the past paralyze us. We can let it paralyze us and be afraid of any attempt for changes in the future, in which case we're simply stuck right there. And we maybe in life, we've all been at some point stuck. Or third, we can choose to let go. 
to move forward. So the second key, the second principle that he shares with us is that indeed that, reaching out to what lies ahead, letting go of what's in the past, but reaching out, and he uses the word pressing on in another verse, what lies ahead, forgetting what lies behind and reaching, moving toward what lies ahead. He goes, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on to Jesus. He is my prize. He's the prize. He is the prize. His presence, living with him, being with him. Not just getting a ticket to heaven and not just escaping hell. Jesus, he says, is my goal. Life with him. You'll notice in the Bible that there is an analogy that's used many, many times to talk about our relationship with God, the Christian life. And it's the word walk. The Christian life is, is paralleled compared to a walk, a journey. And indeed it is. It is a walk. We take it step by step, day by day, as many of the days that the Lord has given us to walk on the earth. The, in Psalm verse, uh, chapter 1, it says that the truly blessed person, the really happy person, if you want to translate it that way, is that blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the seat of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, his ways, he meditates day and night. And when you look at that verse, you see the downward progression that happens when we take the wrong path, when we take our walk takes us away from God. It's a downward, it's a downward spiral. Walk, stand, sit. That is a life that is stuck, that is not moving anywhere. But rather, he says, let's walk another path, delighting ourselves in the Lord, in his ways, that becomes a part of our life 24-7. When you flip over to the New Testament, the word walk is used a lot. I mean, just pull your concordance up and look at it. It's amazing. And it's not just talking about walking from point A to point B. Uh, Jesus called people to follow him, to actually walk with him. And throughout the Old Test- the New Testament, we find Jesus following Jesus compared to a walk that we experience in so many different aspects. Let me just list a few. We're told to walk in newness of life, walk according to the Spirit, walk by faith, walk by the Spirit, walk in a manner worthy of our calling, walk in love, walk as children of light, walk in wisdom, Walk the same way that we have received Christ. In other words, with simple faith. Walk in a way that pleases God. Walk in the light. Walk in the truth. And then walk like Jesus walked. We're invited into a walk, a journey, a trip, if you will, with him. And I I had the Lord kind of pull all this together for me this past week. When, when I was actually doing what I call a, a prayer walk, I, I try to walk uh, most days, most mornings. But for me, it's more than just physical exercise. It's more than just getting in my mile or two miles or whatever it may be. Because during this walk, what I do is I listen to scripture. I, I have a very cool app called Dwell. And some of you may be familiar with that, where you can choose the scriptures or themes or subjects that you want to listen to, or books, just go through an entire book. And it has different readers, so it kind of keeps it very interesting, and even background music that you can pick or not pick, which is cool. And what I like most about it is that in between each verse, you can pick some space, like 30 seconds, where the music just plays, but you get to reflect over what was just read very beautifully. 
And that allows me to, in my walk, to, to meditate upon, to reflect upon the scripture, uh, maybe to pray it back up to the Lord, maybe to apply it some way in my life or to try to memorize it, begin to, to rehearse over it in, in my mind. But what happens many times during these walks is that the Lord will use those verses, he'll use his word as a reflect upon it to speak to me to give me direction for life. It'll speak to something in my heart, something I'm going through, something I'm experiencing, or something I need to. So this past week, about the middle of the week, I was taking my walk, and interesting enough, I'm heading up this one particular hill, and the word walk just kind of stood out. And it was like, okay, this is coming from the Lord. Walk, it was an invitation, walk. And in my physical walk that morning, it became very powerful because this for me became a word picture. You know what I mean? Word picture where we hear something and all of a sudden we see it being experienced, being walked out in our, walked out, there we go, experienced in our life. And, and it hit me in three ways, three pictures of application of what really what Paul was talking about that, it, that has to do with our walk. And I think this is important today. I think we're at a pivotal point in our life, not just a new year, but these are gifts from God, these days are. And here are the things that stood out to me. This was my experience. That when we walk, we are leaving something or someplace behind. We're leaving something. We're stepping away from it. Just think physically about the walk. You're stepping away. You're moving forward, but you're putting distance between ourselves and our past. Good, bad, or ugly. Every step. On a spiritual level or on an emotional level, it might look something like this. It might be some bad past experience that we have, experience that we had, and we just can't seem to get it out of our mind, and it just keeps us trapped. And the Lord is saying, walk away from this, leave this, forget this, let it go. It might be a worrisome thought. It might be a fear of something that you have been anxious or that you are anxious about. It may be a burden uh, of some failure or some mistake that you have great regrets over, or sin, a habit, a struggle. It may be condemning, accusing negative voices from others in your past, or it may be negative self-talk where we just beat ourselves up. We just take the, the stake and just beat ourselves up over and over and over again. We do that. You know, we say things like, you, can, you can't do anything right. You always make that mistake. You dummy. We beat ourselves up. We talk to ourselves in ways that we wouldn't, should never, probably never talk to another person like. And as I was walking this morning and these things were kind of flowing up in my mind, God began to show me things that I was carrying that he desired for me to lay down, that he desired for me to let go of. So here's what happened physically that morning. Each step that I took... As I walked, I could feel more and more freedom as I just played out this word picture, this word from the Lord. Each step away from those things, the Lord said, lay that down, cast it down, walk away from it, was felt physically freeing. It was a, a parable being walked out. Paul said, this one thing I do, I let go of the past, I forget it. The good, the bad, the ugly does not define me or confine me. What defines me is Jesus in my life with him. So the second part of the walk that you begin to realize is that the second thing about a walk is that it is a, a walk is a forward motion. Yep. 
We're moving forward. We're going somewhere toward something, toward someone. We're choosing to leave one place and go to someplace new. And for Paul, Paul's goal is Jesus. I'm moving toward him. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says this, because therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fixing our eyes forward, not back. You know, we all have rearview mirrors in our car. Hopefully you do. And, uh, but you don't keep your eyes in the rearview mirror because what happens if you do? Yeah, bad news. Glance, yeah, okay, that's what I'm leaving. But we keep our eyes ahead. Fixing, he says, our eyes upon Jesus, the author, the beginner, the perfecter, is the completer of our faith. He is, it works, he goes, I'm moving toward him. Paul is saying more than we're just walking away from the past, we are walking to Jesus. We're moving toward him, to be closer to him, to to make this our prayer, Lord, restore my union with you. Restore my connection and let it grow. Let it grow with you. We are indeed pilgrims or sojourners uh, just passing through this world. And every day, we're invited to take steps of faith. Every day, to trust God with things that are going on in our heart and to lean into him. And sometimes those are baby steps, little steps. And sometimes when we take steps, we trip, we fall, we stumble, we fall down. And what happens many times, we begin to look back and all the voices of the past, all the self-loathing voices begin to beat us up. The enemy comes and says, look at this, you can't do anything. But I'm going to tell you, the Lord doesn't stand there and go, well, you you blew it. You blew it. Remember Peter and Jesus, when Jesus invited Peter to what? Walk on the water. He's out there walking on water, a miracle. And he takes his eyes off Jesus. What happens? He sinks. So what did Jesus do? You dummy, look at you again. You know, is that what he did? What did he do? He reached down. That is your Jesus. That is the way your Jesus treats you and me when we do stumble, we do fall. He reaches down with love and says, get up. He may say something like, you know, you're a little faithling here, you know, keep your eyes on me. But he picks us up. He didn't drag Peter back, you know, and bump him up against the boat, flip him over the side. No, he pulls him up and says, Let's, come on, buddy. And he walks with him back. Every day we take steps. The Christian life is a walk. And each step that you take every day is important, moving us forward toward him. My phone uh, actually counts my steps when I walk. And I found out that a, a mile is around 2,000 steps in a mile. Um, by the way, I found out that it's uh, 4.4 million steps to L.A., to Los Angeles. I don't know why you would do that, but just in case you were wondering, you know, there it is. In your lifetime, you'll take about 146 million steps. Or you could walk back and forth to L.A. about 33 times. But every day in our life, we take steps of faith, or we don't take steps of faith in our walk with Christ. Our life is a walk. 
And the very important question that we have to ask, and that's what I think this, this weekend is pivotal in helping us ask, the big question is this, is the trajectory of my life moving me toward Jesus? Or where is it taking me? As I make steps each day, is it moving me in the direction of Jesus? Or am I, if we're honest, are there times when we take steps that lead in other directions? Is there times when we're just not even paying attention where we're going? We're just wandering around. You know, we, we sing about prone to wander, you know, a little bit. See, I mean, so many things talk about the life of walking. Wandering is walking. But God calls us toward him. There's a third dimension, though, that I want to mention. It's very important because it's not just walking away from the past and it's not just walking toward Jesus, but it's the third dimension that gives us power. And it is this fact that we walk with Jesus or he walks with us. The Christian life is a walk with Jesus, a life with God, a life that is not alone anymore. And one of the truths that we just celebrated a few weeks ago at Christmas time was the incarnation of Jesus where he came to be with us. He invaded our darkness with his light. His light comes and it dispels darkness and drives it out. He came to dwell among us, to live with us, and he still does, to camp out with us, to sit with us, to be with us. He does, and when he left this earth, he did not leave us as orphans. We're not second-class Christians because we didn't live with the disciples. He is still here. He dwells with us. The Bible says that he dwells in our heart. In Ephesians 3.17, it says Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. Galatians 4.19 tells us that Christ is being formed in us. Formed in us. Born in us and being formed in us. And in Colossians 1.27 says Christ in you is the hope of glory. He dwells with us in our heart, but he also dwells with us through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us as we invite him to come and to fill us. He dwells within us. He lives within us. Romans 8 verse 11 says that he brings life to our mortal bodies through the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. When we get saved, God moves in. The Holy Spirit moves in. But he also encourages us to invite him in more and more to be filled with the Spirit. And I think part of that being filled is not his um, need to pour into us, but our need to open up space, to be honest and open, open the doors of our life to him, not have anything closed and say, come and fill these space, Lord. I vacate it, I empty it for you to fill. A life with Jesus is a life of walking. And like any people who walk together, when you walk together with someone, you share your heart and you begin to love and like the same things. We begin to share the things that we enjoy with one another. So as we invite the heart of God into our hearts, we will love the things that he loves. We'll love who he loves. We'll love the way that he loves. We'll oppose the things that he opposes, particularly in our lives. And as we pray for and minister to others in their lives. And when he does things, he invites us to join him. We're invited to, do, to be his hands, to be his feet, to be his mouthpiece. So one of the important questions, and I, I heard someone pray it this morning in the early morning prayer we have. And by the way, everybody's invited to that. I think it's about uh, 9.45 we have prayer in here in the sanctuary. And if you want to come and pray, we'd love to have you be a part of that. And somebody this morning said, Lord, would you show us what you're doing? 
Just show us what you're doing today. Let me see as you see. Let me see my life as you see my life. Let me see others as you see them. Let me see opportunities as you see opportunities. That's a radical change in our life. It results in leaving the old, walking toward Jesus and walking with Jesus. Every new year um, and every new month and really every new day, uh, it's a part of the rhythm that God's established that allows for us fresh starts and new beginnings. Rather than using the word resolutions, I like to use the word resolve. I'll tell you why. Uh, the word resolution is a noun. It's a thing. But the word resolve is a verb. It is an action. It is something we do. The key to transformation is found in action, not just in words. Actively leaving behind, letting go, things that harm us or hold us down or weigh us down. Purposefully walking toward Jesus, intentionally walking toward him, moving our whole life in the trajectory of him in the little practical things every day, and then consciously, mindfully walking with Jesus every day throughout the crazy things. His brother Lawrence you know, talked about practicing the presence of God, washing dishes, doing chores, fixing a car. I mean, he didn't fix a car, you know, but he fed the donkey you know, or something. But whatever we're doing, to do it along with the companionship, the awareness that he, Jesus is there, right there, always with us, so we do life with him. God is a God of fresh starts, of new beginnings, of new days, and of new years. You may be here this morning, and in some areas of your life, there are things that need to be left behind, and you need to walk away from. I encourage you to, to uh, maybe just do this as an experiment, to actually take a walk, and to actually pray as you walk and, and ask the Lord, Lord, are there things that you want me to lay down, to leave behind, to walk away from? And as you do, just picture yourself, you know, walking and leaving it behind, moving away from it. Picture yourself moving toward Jesus and let him pray and let him know your desire is, is that the trajectory of your life moves toward him. And then walk with him. Walk with him. The Bible says in closing, Lamentations 3.22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They never run out. He never runs dry. He never runs short. He never says, oh, I don't have enough. No, they're new. What does it say? Every morning. They're new every morning. They're new, fresh every morning. Oh, Lord, great is your faithfulness. Amen. Amen. Um, we want to, at this time of our service, each week we pause. We take a few moments to reflect over our week.